Hello and welcome to Alameda County Library's Read On Podcast. We're talking about new books, classic books, and other fun stuff you can get from your library. We hope you enjoy. Find us on the web at aclibrary.org. Hello, this is Kate, and I'm here with forthcoming books discussing the new Justin Cronin novel, The City of Mirrors. This is the last book in a trilogy that began with The Passage in 2010. I'm most of the way through this book. I'm going to talk about it anyway. And I also, it's kind of making me think about the concept of sunk cost, which is the idea that just because you've invested a lot of time in something or perhaps a lot of money does not mean that you should keep investing time in something. And I'm interested in this and how it applies to some of the books and some of the series that we read. But first, let's talk about The Passage, which rocked my world. It was like 6,000 pages, but it was worth it for me. It's a sci-fi vampire epic. And if you think that you're tired of vampires, you just haven't read The Passage yet. They were so creepy. It's a book about survival, about loyalty, about courage, about, about love. It was a bestseller. I slept with the lights on for months. I mean, I was honest to God scared of the dark. This book was like a lifestyle change for me. And then that lifestyle sort of faded into refreshing his website and looking for a publication date for The Twelve, which was supposed to be the sequel, or the middle book in the trilogy, and it took him forever to write it. So I was really ready for it when it came out. Um, and it, we had our sci-fi vampires again, we had our courage, we had our survival, we had our, our, our world building that was just so addictive for me. But we also had uh, some crappy dialogue, and we had some sappy plotting, and we had some scenes that really felt like they were just sort of like the first draft of a Hollywood blockbuster movie script. Um, and then the worst part for me was we, we had a horse that could read your mind and communicate telepathically. It just showed up two-thirds of the way through the book, and that was when I knew that we had sort of, you know, forgive the expression, jump the shark. But still, I had to finish it because when you get into a world that's that sort of consuming, you just have to know. And, and so I waited patiently for more years, and now City of Mirrors is here. And on the first page, that horse is back communicating telepathically again and then a hundred pages in the vampires my beloved sci-fi vampires have gone regular there's a dude with fangs and like a big head of hair and a widow's peak and it's described kind of ironically but the fact of the matter is it's now regular vampires but yet I am still going to finish this book because when you start that strong when you make a world that strong it will apparently carry you through thousands of extra pages of not quite as good So why am I talking about this today? I am talking about it because the first one was so good. It was so creepy that I want you to go back, join all the other people who loved it, join us, read this book, and then at least you won't have to wait with bated breath to find out, you know, if it stays as good. You can just plow right through, get it over with, get it out of your system. So while this is a review of City of Mirrors by Justin Cronin, due out on May 24th, it is really a review of The Passage. Go read it.
Hello, and welcome to Books We Haven't Read, where we share some of the titles that will be published soon, but not yet, that you'll be able to find at your local Alameda County Library. My name is Trevor Calvert. And I'm Alice White. The first book is Sergio Y. by Alexander Vidal Porto. It's out on Europa Editions in May 2016. One of my favorite publishers is Europa Editions, an independent publisher of fiction founded in 2005. They're responsible for some really great recent books, like Ferrante's My Brilliant Friend and Barbary's The Elegance of the Hedgehog. In May, they'll be releasing a book titled Sergio Y, which tells of a Brazilian doctor, Armando, who blames himself for the death of a trans woman who he had treated when her name was Sergio. What follows is described by the publisher as an impeccably structured novel, which is a detective story wrapped around a deeper exploration of identity. Armando learns that Sergio moved to New York and became Sandra, and in Armando's exploration and investigation, he learns about Sergio's choices as well as his role in Sergio's life. The publisher promises this to be a methodical and deeply layered narrative about the sacrifices we make in the search for happiness. And it certainly has all the pieces for just that. And if the writing is as good as most of Europa's authors, then we definitely have something to look forward to in July. This is Chris, and I'm back with another edition of Forthcoming Books. And today I'm going to talk about Imagine Me Gone by Adam Hazlitt, which is due out May 3rd. So this is Hazlitt's third book, and I'm guessing it's going to receive as much acclaim as his first two books. Uh, his first was a book of short stories called You Are Not a Stranger Here, uh, came out in 2002, and it was a finalist for the Pulitzer and the National Book Award. And then uh, some years later, he had a novel called Union Atlantic, which was the winner of the Lambda Literary Award. But for now, let's talk about Imagine Me Gone. As the book opens, John and Margaret are together for a couple of years in England. And they're engaged to be married when John becomes so depressed he is hospitalized for six weeks. Margaret is blindsided. She is unaware that this has happened to John before, and she can get very little information from his family or his doctor. When she does meet with his doctor and shares that she and John plan to marry, the doctor says, Then I presume you love him. Margaret nods yes. And the doctor says, well, that's fine then. John comes out of the depression quite suddenly, barely acknowledging what occurred. And Margaret marries him, hoping, as the doctor seemed to indicate, that love will be enough. But this will prove too simple a prescription for John's profound mental illness, which returns without warning years later, after they've had three children and moved across the Atlantic and back again to plunge him into a darkness from which he will not return. Hazlitt's book is beautiful literary fiction about how two people cope with depression, the effect this has on a family, and how far a family can go to save them. Yes, I said two people because in a cruel twist of fate, John and Margaret's oldest son, Michael, 
will suffer from mental illness too. Here are some things you should know before picking up this book. It is structurally complex. Each member of the family takes turns narrating in first-person chapters, and Hazlitt has created a unique voice and style for each of them. There's John, Margaret, their oldest son, Michael, Celia, their middle child, and Alec, the youngest. You should also know this book is as relentless as it is amazing. You spend most of the book deep inside the character's greatest fears and worries. This family is very human, and their reactions and coping mechanisms will make you alternately cringe and sympathize. John's and Michael's anxiety and depression are described intricately. It is greatly affecting for the reader. I will say it often made me feel anxious. And I imagine, too, that this book will produce strong opinions among readers with personal experience with mental illness, as well as with people who treat others with anxiety and depression. And you should also know that Hazlitt's books are often described by many readers as sad. Once an interviewer asked him about this opinion, and he said, quote, I don't find them sad at all, because for me, the saddest thing is compulsory happiness. The notion that a happy ending is something we have to have. I don't think stories have to have happy endings in order to be stories that contain a kind of redemptive quality, unquote. And yes, I heartily recommend this book. Hazlitt masterfully wields a lot of complex characters, ideas, and emotions. And his major triumph in this book is Michael, one of the most interesting characters I've read about in a long time. Whereas his father, John's depression, slows John down and mutes his emotions, Michael's anxiety and depression spin him into a frenzy. He is incredibly intelligent, well-read, and at a young age has an amazing vocabulary and a sharp wit. He creates elaborate fantasies, like the letters he writes to his Aunt Penny about his young brother missing on a cruise ship and likely to be sold into slavery. And as a skinny, asthmatic kid, he waxes rhapsodic about Donna Summer and knows as much about disco as anyone in the music industry. Later, he'll narrate a family therapy session as if reporting from the front lines of a war. And he obsesses about white supremacy and falls hopelessly in love with young black women he can't have. So this book is often wickedly funny while dealing with a very serious subject. I love this book. I hope you will, too. Once again, Imagine Me Gone by Adam Hazlett, due out May 3rd. I know we already have some at the library, so come on by and check it out. This has been another episode of Read On, the podcast from AC Library. Look for us at aclibrary.org.